0: it up afterwards so the gemara that's the next case the Mishnah is talking about and the gemara asks where do we ever find ripping in the mishkan right because we said that if you want to be one of the 39 malachas 39 forbidden acts that's to be something that was done in the mishkan in the creation of the mishkan was there ripping in the mishkan Rabbi and they both say You said if you have a urea right a urea is one of the tapestries a darna, it rashi says it's a worm umanake by naked cut and the worm gets on it some sort of a, you know that ends up eating a little bit of the fabric so what's going to happen is the you're going to rip it where the fabric was this worm made a hole you're going to rip it and then you're going to take that and then sew it back up again right because if you don't rip it then you have just a round hole that's missing and you try to sew it up it's never going to be exactly perfect but if you actually cut out the fabric from from the whole thing until it's two lengths the exact same uh, length on both sides then you could actually still sew it up again and it'll be nice and and smooth at least as smooth as it can be. if someone uh means to to stretch out or to extend right so if you extend the uh the thread of a stitch on shabbos you have to bring a carbon chattos, right um so okay fine okay good you have to bring a carbon chattos, probably for the hadik of the Ooh, rough, say, right so rashi says why are you high for doing this because if you stretch out that thread it's a thread that was uh it's going to be if you stretch it out to make it tighter, then essentially you're making this garment more attached than it was before. That's similar to tzirah, similar to actually sewing. Now here comes an interesting halacha. If someone learns one item of Torah, learning from a magash, what is a magash? The Gemara is going to fight about this. You're liable to the death penalty. And somebody who knows how to calculate the tzikufas and the mazalas, tzikufas are the where the basically the paths of the sun, and the stars, and mazales, and the constellations, knows how to calculate them. And he does not make these calculations. Also, you're not allowed to say something over in his name. Okay, so these three statements, what's the connection with these three statements? So, presumably, these are three statements that Ruzitra said, Rizitra Bartovia said in the name of Rav, right? That these are the three statements that he heard at the same time. So, excuse me, so, Okay, so what's a Magushta? Magusta, Rabbishmul, Chad So one of them says it is a, um, a, uh, a witch, basically, right? And one of them says it is a Gadufi. A Gadufi is someone who is Magadik, who curses Hashem, right? Someone who's a heretic. So, this time, the Rav, the Amar Gadufi. We know, we can bring you a proof that Rav is the one who says that, that you're not allowed to say something over from, you're not allowed to learn from him, must be the person who is a, a heretic, a blasphemer. Why? Because we said the statement in the name of Rav, that if you learn one thing from a muggish, you're going to be liable to the death penalty. Now, if we're talking about a witch, Right? You wouldn't be liable to death penalty for learning one thing from a witch, but for learning one thing from a heretic, maybe you are liable to death penalty. How do you know you're not liable to death penalty for learning one thing from a witch? These are Because if you might think to say that perhaps Rab is indeed the one who says it means learning something from a witch. It's still your chayimitza, liable to death penalty. He says, you're not allowed to learn from the witches to do like them. The implication is, but you could learn from them to make your life, to, to understand things, but not to actually act in their ways, but just to learn about what they do, but not because you're going to act in their ways. So the implication is, it's only forbidden to learn from a witch if you're planning on acting like a witch. You're not planning on acting like a witch, you're allowed to learn from them. So certainly you'd be allowed to learn Torah from them. So therefore, that's a clear proof that Rav, who says the Yahya Misa for learning Torah from a this magushta it has to be talking about someone who is a heretic and not someone who is a witch. Fine, that's a good proof anybody who knows how to make these calculations when it comes to figuring out where the the moon and the stars and and uh and the sun where they're going and does not do so they are they are someone someone like that you know what he is someone the works of Hashem he is not looking at, and the, the, the uh, creations of his hands he is not seeing. So at this point, what this seems to imply is like this, that if you have the ability to delve deeper into the natural world, into science, and you don't do so, you are ignoring the world that Hashem has created. Hashem created a world with you know, fascinating principles, and um, you know I, I, I obviously don't, don't know that many of them. But that's why Yaakov became a doctor, because he wanted to learn more about the natural world and, and the majesty of Hashem's creation, right? And, and he certainly has done that. And what, because if he didn't do that and he had the ability to do that, then he would have violated this prohibition of having the ability to learn more things about natural creation of Hashem and not having done so, right? Right, Yaakov? Am I right about that? I'm going to take that as silence exactly. Um, Absolutely. That I- is the only reason. I knew it. Now we actually learn a little bit of a different reason why it's important to learn the Kuba the and the Mazalis. Why? It says, It says in parashat the and you should safeguard them and you shall keep them, right? This seems to be referring to the actual Mitzvah. Why? Because this will be your, in, the, in the eyes of the nations, they will see your wisdom. And your, uh, you, you know, chachma is wisdom or knowledge, and binatzem is, is wisdom or ability to discern. So they will see that from you fulfilling these myths. Now, isu chachma bina shileene amim. Which which myths are we talking about that they're going to be a chachma and a in the eyes of the nations of the world? Haviyemer kupas You say that this is the the ability to to calculate the movements of the of the constellations and the sun and the stars. So, so Rashi explains like this, Rashi says, very interesting. He says, what, what exactly are you calculating? He says based on, it's like sort of like a, an, an almanac, right? So based on the movements of the sun and the stars and, and the constellations, you'll be able to calculate what the weather's gonna be like. And if you have the ability to calculate what the weather's gonna be like, then they're gonna recognize that you're very wise. Now, I think you probably have to assume that th- this Gemara sounds like the, the, this ability to calculate must've been something that was given down through Masaira. through a tradition because otherwise why will this be something that will cause the nations of the world to marvel at at the torah nothing to do with the torah right unless you say that it's a tradition on the other hand right Brett stevens put out that that uh that op-ed earlier this year talking about the brilliance of ashkenazi jews and positing that it's not about a genetic thing it's really about a cultural thing but it could be he's wrong and it could be so so to say it's a genetic thing that wouldn't be relevant then. that's not going to be something that's going to cause them to marvel at us right but to say that this is, it may cause them to marvel at Jews but it wouldn't cause them to marvel at the Torah which is what the idea that we're trying to express over here you have to assume that their ability to recognize based on specific constellations in this area of the sun in this area of the of the sky and the sun in this place at this time period that they use that to actually predict weather patterns you know large scale weather patterns that have to be something that they must have had through some sort of mishra through some sort of tradition it says they be trapped deer the next malacha we're dealing with. Let's talk about oh, hold on a second. A, I have a question. This section from us Hanan is talking about about mitzvot, right? So when when no. when when the goyim see that we keep the mitzvahs, they're going to see that we're wise and understanding people. Where does this calculating the constellation stuff come into? You have to say it's like this. That they're gonna say this is a nation that they have the they do all these mitzvahs and we don't know why they do the mitzvahs but we also recognize something else about them we recognize that they have a certain wisdom and other factors as well and this wisdom is something that's unique to them so presumably it's a wisdom that comes together with their are keeping the torah and the mitzvahs so presumably there's something unique about the torah and the mitzvahs then that makes them connected to hashem or there's something they are really are a chosen nation and perhaps the fact that they are a chosen nation is also why they also have these other abilities, the ability to calculate the constellations movement and the weather patterns based on that. So that's why they then look at us. It's not just, if we were just happened to be, the Jews happen to have this, this weather knowledge. There wouldn't be any sort of, you know, uh, connection there between the weather knowledge and some sort of uniqueness about the Jewish people that will Chachma and Bina, right? It was the weather knowledge together with the keeping, the Torah and the mitzvahs that make them recognize that we have a unique space and in, in a relationship between us and Hashem. I, I hear the question. I think the question. I'm start. pretty sure they're going to, to do this as well. I mean. Certainly you know, the, know, they certainly
1: the Greeks,
0: know how to do. They certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Greeks were able to do this. Kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think the Rambam says something over here, not over here, but in general about the, about a lot of the wisdom that the world has, it came from the tradition that the Jews had and then spread it throughout the world. Yeah. I, I don't oh, know okay. what to do with that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. But we learned in our baisa. At tad chilazon da habaytsei. If someone catches a chilazon, right, the, the snail that you make the chilazon out a baytsei, and then you baytsei is when you you crush it to get out the the dye. Ein echayev alachas. You're only liable to bring one karban. Rabbi Yehuda says you're liable to bring two karbanas. Yehuda, says pitziya b'chalal disha. Rabbi says the act of squeezing the chilazon to remove the 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 blood that you're going to use for the dye, right. That itself is similar to Disha. What's Disha? Disha, we said earlier, is threshing, right? So how is it similar to threshing? So the the answer is like this. The answer is that we, the Gemara at this point, understands that when you take an item that is currently encompassed in a different item, and the different item doesn't have any use to you, and you crush the outside item to remove the inner useful thing from the outside thing, that's similar to dash to threshing. Because in threshing, you have a... Kernel that is surrounded by a shaft. And you remove the shaft through crushing it, and then you take out the kernel. So it's a similar idea. And this over there for says you're liable to two karbanas over here. Amr said to him, um, Ain't Sia Bah Disha. Said to him, No, Siya is not in the category of Disha. time Maita the rabbanon. Why did the rabbanon argue Kasabri ain't disha So they said that Disha mefarik right, which is the real world that we use for this type of action, right? mefarik is extracting. So that is only true by things that grow from the ground, right? So if you have a, you're talking about taking a, a grape and squeezing out something from it, you're talking about taking chaff and, and, and taking out the kernel from inside it, that's where there's a, a category of things called disha. But over here, this is not disha, right? This is nothing that grows from the ground. <laughs> the Gemara says, okay, fine. Even if you're right, whether it's one or two, depending on this dispute, do we say that Disha also applies to things that don't grow from the ground, or does it only apply to things that grow from the ground? You should also be liable for for taking away a, a life. right? We said in the Mishnah, one of the third Malachas is ishita, right? and this should be similar to Shkita. <laughs> even Abayah and, Abay and Rabbah both say that Rabbi Shimon who says in general that when you do a malachah, you're doing an action, but not for the intended purpose, right? So when the person is squeezing out the chilazan, why does he squeeze the chilazan? Does he squeeze the chilazan to kill it? No, he squeezes the chilazan to get the the dye out of it, right? So maybe you'll tell me, well, since he didn't intend to kill it, right? That wasn't why he was squeezing it. Then maybe he doesn't have to bring a carbon for killing it. He only has to bring a carbon for trapping it, but not for killing it. So the Gemara says to that, no, that's not true. Because even Rav Shimon who says that anytime you do an action and not for the intended result that it's forbidden, it's not actually forbidden on a Torah level to do that according to Rav Shimon. But if Rav Shimon would agree that if you take a chicken and you cut off the chicken's head, why did you cut off the chicken's head? Because you wanted the head. Because your kids were going to play with the head, right? They didn't have dolls in those days. So they're going to play with that head. Okay, great. But when you cut off a chicken's head, inevitably you kill the chicken. So you can't say, I, kill, I took the chicken's head off but I did not intend to kill the chicken. doesn't work. You took the chicken's head off because you inten- you, the fact that you knew the chicken was going to die, there was no other option. It's called like you actually had intent for that. Even if Shimon would agree that this is not exempt from being in a carbun Well, if so, you're squeezing the Khilazon, You know what's going to happen. How can you say that you're not going to be liable for, for killing it? There should be two chata'is, two karbonas that you have to bring for squeezing the chilazon. One for trapping it, one for squeezing it, which is killing it. Gemara says, Shani hacha, de de'ispey neshama, ni. So the Gemara says like this, that you don't actually want it to die, and you're squeezing it, but you're hoping that it won't die, because the longer it doesn't die, the better the amount of dye that you, D-Y-E, you will get from that, from that, uh, from that snail. So over here, you really don't want to kill it. It's true, if you ended up killing it, you ended up killing it, but since you really didn't want to kill it, then already you're not going to be liable to bring a carbon according to Rav Shimon. According to Shimon, you're only liable to bring a carbon if it's something that's inevitable. Over here it's not inevitable and you don't want it to happen. You want enough to die. Or if you shacht the animal. What's the liability? What, what's the carbon that a shechet has to be? Has to be uh, why is he seveya. Rav says, why is a for seveya? When you shacht an animal, the blood gets onto the hide. The color is the hide. Says, no, no, it's not so esoteric as just coloring it. It's actually the fact that you're taking something's life and taking an animal's life is, a, is prohibited on Shabbat. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, one second, does Rav really argue on Shmuel? Isn't it obvious that taking the life of something is forbidden on, on Yom Because that was part of the Malacha of creating the Mishkan was to take animals' lives. So how can you say... How can you say that? It's only because of dying and not because of taking the life as well. Gemara says, It's true. Even Rab would agree that there is a malacha here called, called um, taking its life. But he's saying that there's also a malacha called Tabea dying. Rab says, I, I think people are going to laugh at me, right? Because they're going to hear what I said. They're not going to understand me. Let me explain what I meant. Why is he happy to die the animal? Why did you want to do it in a way that the animal gets died? Because the guy's is an animal. He was shechting an animal because he wants to sell the animal. So if the animal gets died and the blood goes all over its hide, then people are going to see that it's soaked with blood. They're going to think that it was very recently shechted, and they're going to be very interested in buying it. So what do we mean that he wants the diet? He doesn't want a diet because he wants the animal's heart to be full of blood. That's not a good thing in the end of the day. But what it's good for is right now, it does have a good result that people will be more likely to come from this. So it said to salt it and to also to tan it. You want to ask the obvious question. What do you mean? The salting is part of the dying is part of the tanning process. Why are you saying them as the two separate malachas? It's two set of one. It's really just it's part of the same malacha, the same process of, of tanning it. So they say, you know what? Indeed, take one of these out of your list of of, uh, of forbidden actions on Shabbos in the Mishnah. And instead, stick in siyarta. So siyarta is when you when you uh, the siyarta that we always think of is the if you ever uh, make, get an aliyah right and the sefer torah is open in front of you you see that there's this line scraped in there's uh all the lines that are scraped into the um to the torah to the to the cloth to the parchment and then and those lines keep everything very straight on that line right so that's easier to write it on so that's a siyarta when you scrape uh, like a, a a ridge not a ridge but the the opposite of a ridge into a uh, into, into something that, to help make things straight. So over here, what people would do is, when they're gonna be cutting up the hide to figure out, you know, to use that hide for uh, whatever sort of tapestry they're gonna make out of it, so you would make a sirtut, you would make a, a very specific set of lines to indicate where you're gonna be cutting, right? You measure it twice and you cut once. So that would be the 39th malacha. Now, Amar Barahuna, Chaim Adem Malach Piswa, Chaim Rabbi extends the malacha of ma'abed of tanning. He says the same way you're not allowed to tan, which involves putting salt onto the hide, so too you're not allowed to put a lot of salt onto meat. And if you do, that's also a prohibition of ma'abed of tanning. So Rava Amar, Rava says, what are you talking about? There's as interesting as tanning by food, right? The whole malacha of tanning is when you are preserving a hide in a very specific way, so now you'll be able to use it for something else. When you do that with food, you're never doing that in the same manner. You're not doing the food so that you could use it in a different fashion. You're preserving it perhaps for later, but you're not preserving it in a way that's going to change its its uh its chemical its chemical thing that now it could be uh you know worn easier or something like that. And even Rabbi Ravuna agrees that you're not your lap is salt an item for a short term process you're not allowed to short you're not allowed to you know do let's say uh, make jerky on shabbos that you're not allowed to do so to salt an item for a long-term process that you're not allowed to do to be eaten a year from now that's not going to work but if someone is salting something for eating purposes he's not going to be salting it in a way that's going to turn it into wood basically right he's not going to salt it that it has as much salt as you would need for ma'abed, for, for tanning, and therefore it is not... Even Rabbi Barahuno says that there is a problem of salting your food. That's only referring to the type of long-term salting where you're going to, you know, put it away, cure it in a... They call it hard pack, right? Where they, where they put it into a barrel or something like that. Okay. So the next two cases are those who smooth down and those who cut. If you're smoothing down the area between the pillars on Shabbos, right, I guess it's an area where people would sit, and you're smoothing down the dirt down outside, you know what? That's an, a, a violation of memachik, of smoothing down. the Yeshua ben Levi. Three things have Ashi told me in the name of Yeshua ben Levi. Megara is to cut uh, the heads of the k'unsoyot of uh, poles on Shabbos. If you're, you're liable for um, for cutting. Ha, am in If you are rubbing a uh, retia in some sort of a like a campress or a, a poultice on a on a wound on Shabbos, that's you know you rub it in smoothly. That's going to be making something smooth. But um, on Saturday says to The Saturday is when you're you're finishing the rock. The rock has been cut properly, but now you're doing like the final little like just making everything perfectly straight with a chisel, right? So that, that's the final step in the process of making this ready for whatever use people would use it for. And the final step in the process is called, it's called hitting with the the hammer that is the very final step of making something fit to be used is one of the 39 malachas. ben if you are making, you're drawing a surah on a vessel, right? This is a vessel, you know, you, the China, when, once you finish getting everything ready to go and now it's ready to eat on it, well, the last thing that you do is before you eat on it, you, you make some sort of surah, you, you drew some sort of design on it. So if you draw that design, that's the final step. And the final blowing that you do with a glass blowing, a glass utensil that you, you know, you make through blowing. So the final blow that you do with that Chayim Both those actions that will be called makipatish, the final blow, and you'll be liable for that malacha. I'm going to review the high man, the shakal akufe me glime. Chayim is to and immediately they cut for the life. Anybody who removes the akufe takes takes off the akufe. Akufe are like the like a thread that's out of place, right? So you you get your brand new custom made suit, and you see that there's one or two threads that are not where they should be. So you cut them off, right? So if you do that, that's also called Makabatish, right? It's the very final act that somebody's going to do before they're willing to wear it. But the Gemara says the qualifier here. That's only true if he's the kind of person who would not wear it unless he unless he fixed this issue. But if, if he doesn't really care that much, then it's not going to be makabatish. It could be there's other reasons why you're not permitted to do that on Shabbos, right? It might be machatech, it might be cutting, but it's not gonna be makabatish. It's not the final act because you're willing to wear it without doing that. Okay, it so it's a sense if you write two letters you're liable. Let's say you write one very large letter and the, the space in which you wrote it had enough space to write two letters. So you might think when we say writing two letters, we don't mean writing two letters. It's more significant than writing one letter. We mean it has to be that you wrote enough ink in the space to write two letters. Shemar says, no, that's not true. If you write one very big letter and there was enough space to write two letters underneath it, it doesn't make a difference. You're still a Unless you write two letters, it's not significant let's say you erase one very large letter with the intent to write two letters in its place, then, indeed, you are liable, right? Because we said earlier that when you erase, it's inherently a destructive act. You're only liable for erasing when you have intent to write in the place that you erase. Well, if you have intent to write in the place that you erase, and there's enough space to erase, enough space to write two letters, then you're liable for erasing even though it's only one letter says this is a stringency by by erasing, a stringency of erasing higher than writing. So, if one builds, if one destroys, if one extinguishes, if one lights, if one, um, and, and the final hammer blow. Here's the principle: anything that is the final act, that's going to be a hammer blow, right? And we've just defined that already. But this is where the principle comes from. All the mission tells you is a hammer blow. It's coming to teach you anything that is the final act is always considered to be this malacha. Oh, Why does it say elu? These are the malachas. malachas. These are the Abbas malachas. These are the list of the root, root um, prohibitions. This is coming to the opinion of Revelation. Revelation actually says that you can be liable for a tolda, for a uh, descendant malacha, right? If you're doing it at the same time as an app. So up until now, we've always been saying if you do an app and another app, you can have two liabilities. If you do an app together with its tolda, then there's only one liability. But Rebbe Lezer says no, you actually can be liable for doing an app together with its tolda. So our mission said, Elu just teach you that only these 39 acts can you be liable for all 39 at the same time. But if any of these 39 acts, together with its attendant, with its attendant, told up, with its attendant uh, descendant, malacha, then indeed you cannot be liable. Chasrachas, why do you say Chasrachas? To exclude the opinion of Rav Yehuda. The Yehuda, most of a a So Rav Yehuda added on also a shevet and a medaktik. Shevet, means mashnei. So the, the the I think what's going these are both related to uh, to the act of weaving, as she says. Let me see what are they. So So Shaivet is something that's more similar to mesach, which was the setting up of the of the warp, right, of the womb of the loom. So that schleveth is something along those lines, probably some sort of process. you' you're making something smoothed out, I'm not sure exactly, but you're smoothing out one of, some of these threads, maybe. And Meddarig. Um, and Meddoctic, which is to be, Rashi says that when you're stretching the 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 threads that are going across, you stretch them very tightly. for some reason you stretch them in a way that it makes it easier to, for the process. So he looked at that as a separate malacca. So, but our mission said, no, it's not a separate malacha. That's all part of the category of Eireg, of Bibi. Next mission, another principle that they taught us. um Any item that is normally sometimes stored, and people will store this amount. And then you actually brought that amount and that type of item out on Shabbos, carrying it. You're liable to a anything that the substance is not something that people ever store, in other words, it's not valuable at all. And even if they would, that amount would not be a significant amount. And you carry it out on Shabbos into the public domain. So then, the only person who will be liable for doing this is going to be somebody who he himself considers this a, a significant. And he himself would store this item and this measure away for later. Well, if he's that kind of person, and then he carries it out, then he's going to be liable. Kalakasha Latsnia, anything that is normally kasher, that is appropriate to be matnia, to, to store it away. Afuke might, what's it coming to exclude? But Papa Amir Papa says, "Afuke, coming to exclude Damnida, that nobody's going to be saving menstrual blood.. It's not coming to exclude menstrual blood. Rather, it's coming to exclude which means wood from an ashera tree, a tree that was used for worshiping and it's forbidden to benefit from and nobody stores it because it has to be destroyed. The one who says that even which is no prohibition of, of having it, right? But clearly most people don't really want that. So if, if even that is considered to be something that is not significant and nobody will ever store it and therefore you're not going to be liable on a Torah level for carrying out on Chavez. And certainly to carry out the wood of a tree that's been worshipped that has no use at all, of course you're not liable on a Torah level. But according to one who says that, no, it's referring to the, the wood of a, an Asherah tree. That's what, you're, that's what, you're, um, that's what your your are from doing. So then what he's saying is that people actually would store away that blood. Well, why would you store it away? The Shunra for a cat what does he argue because he says that there's some sort of idea here some sort of a heebie-jeebie idea that if, if uh, an animal eats your blood then it will be bad for you and therefore nobody's ever going to store it away for a cat because they don't want that to happen <laughs> the shimon's opinion is that it cannot be our mission so shimon's opinion we'll learn later is that all of the measurements that we talk about, this is the requisite measure for which to be liable, is only true that this is the amount of this item of food and this item of food is this amount that you have to carry out to be liable. That's only true for those who even are anyways considering that uh, a uh, subjectively valuable item. So over here what we're saying is that even these measures are still not going to be valuable unless you're subjectively, unless, unless you are someone who subjectively values it. Shimon later on is going to say that all measures are like that. So this Mishnah is not going to be like Shimon's opinion. We're going to learn later on.